Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Martin Stringer, and this is Primetime Politics on CPAC. Our focus tonight is once again on the coronavirus and its impact on Canada. From Parliament Hill to provincial capitals to emergency rooms around Canada, the developments continue. The federal government today is announcing that it is advising Canadians to avoid all foreign travel. But Ottawa isn't going as far as several provinces in calling for mandatory quarantine for those coming home. It is, though, closing Canadian ports to cruise ships, at least until the summer. To help counter the economic downturn caused by the virus, the finance minister unveiled a $10 billion stabilization fund, and the Bank of Canada announced a further interest rate cut. And MPs in Parliament made a historic decision today, suspending the sitting of Parliament for the next five weeks to be in their ridings, to be closer to home, and to cut the risk of infection through travel. But we start in Ottawa, where Prime Minister Trudeau is in self-isolation for the next two weeks after his wife, Sophie Grégoire Trudeau, tested positive for the virus. Ms. Grégoire Trudeau says her symptoms don't seem too serious and she hopes to make a speedy recovery. The Prime Minister came out uh, to the doorway of his official residence at Rideau Cottage today to give an update on the federal government's latest measures against the pandemic. Here is part of what he had to say. Yesterday, I shared with you that my wife Sophie was being tested for COVID-19 and that test did come back positive. Sophie's symptoms remain mild but we are following medical advice and taking every precaution. She will remain in isolation for the time being. We are thinking about all the families across the country who've received the same diagnosis, but we're in good hands. We have full confidence in Canada's health officials and professionals. This means that upon my doctor's recommendation, I will remain in self-isolation for 14 days. I want to be clear, I have no symptoms and I'm feeling good. And technology allows me to work from home. Of course, it's an inconvenience and somewhat frustrating. We are all social beings after all. But we have to do this because we have to protect our neighbours and our friends, especially our more vulnerable seniors and people with pre-existing conditions. We are following medical advice, as should all Canadians. And on that note, I want to thank all of Canada's health professionals and the public health agency who are doing an incredible job supporting and looking after all of us. Are you considering direct financial payments to Canadians or to affected industries? Uh, we are looking at ways to help Canadians directly, yes. Uh, particularly vulnerable Canadians who are going to be particularly squeezed if uh, they uh, don't get, uh, uh, aren't able to go to work. Uh, these are the kinds of things we're focused on. We also know that small businesses uh, may uh, struggle through or will struggle uh, through this uh, period of economic slowdown of uh, people uh, choosing to stay at home and protect their families. We will look at how to support them so that uh, once we get through this difficult time, our uh, economy and Canadians will continue to prosper. 
can you just describe to how will that is that in, in in place of the budget? Is is this kind of a series what we could expect now through the the end of this crisis? Um, we are obviously focused uh, primarily on how we are going to get uh, money into the pockets of Canadians who will need it because of this situation. Uh, we've had many many discussions over the past months about the budget. Those that work will continue, but our focus right now is on ensuring uh, that Canadians have. Uh, have uh, the, 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 the resources uh, and the money to not have to uh, stress about rent and about groceries and about childcare and elder care uh, at a time where they're also very worried about their health and their family's health. We will be supporting uh, the economy and Canadians through this time. That was the Prime Minister speaking with reporters outside of his official residence in Ottawa this morning. Now, a whole team of federal ministers came out to speak with reporters to give details of the government's latest measures to fight the coronavirus. Later in the show, we will hear more from the ministers about the federal plan to reduce the impact of COVID-19. But first, here's what Deputy Prime Minister and Chair of the Ad Hoc Committee on the Coronavirus, Christian Freeland, had to say. This is an extraordinary, unprecedented situation. And Canadians are rising to this challenge at every order of government, from federal to provincial to municipal, working as Team Canada, and in every home and every business across the country. We have just concluded a cabinet meeting that was chaired by the Prime Minister. I want to assure all Canadians that the Government of Canada is taking and will continue to take every step necessary to protect the health and safety of Canadians. We are doing and we will do whatever it takes. And that is true also when it comes to keeping the Canadian economy strong. Joining me now from the foyer of the House of Commons are three members of Parliament. Greg Fergus is a Liberal MP for Hall Elmer, and he's a Parliamentary Secretary to the President of the Treasury Board. Dan Albus is a Conservative MP for Central Okanagan, Simulkeen Nicola, and critic for employment. And Don Davies is the NDP MP for Vancouver Kingsway, and he's his party's health critic. All three of you, thanks for joining me. Thank You're you. You're welcome. I want to start with, um, obviously this was a big day for all of you because you made a, a fairly historic decision and that is to suspend Parliament for the next five weeks. Um, let's just start it this way. Going back to your writings for five weeks and not being in Parliament, what's the biggest aspect of the governments, the federal governments, dealing with the coronavirus outbreak that you will hope be addressed or that you might have concerns that might not be addressed while you're away? Greg Fergus. Well, I think one of the things that I'm hoping will be addressed and is what actually the reason why we took this time uh, to, to break from Parliament is to really make the point clear to people that we all have a role to play into trying to mitigate the spread of, uh, of COVID-19. Many provincial governments, uh, health officers, uh, the scientific community is indicating that we shouldn't have events or gatherings of more, of a certain, more than a certain size. Some places it's 250, some places it's fewer. And Parliament, of course, has 338 members, not only 338 members, but 338 members who are very active in their communities, who are always at uh, different events all about. So we had to show the way to Canadians that, uh, like all Canadians, we need to take to make sure that we are not putting other people at risk of, uh, of spreading this disease. Right, but is there, is there something that the government is doing 
uh, that or is not doing and could be doing more while you're off for five weeks? Is there something that you hope the government gets around to doing in terms of dealing with this outbreak? Well, well, clearly it is making sure that we're going to be there for Canadians and all Canadians so that people don't have to make that choice between their health and putting other people uh, and and putting bread on the table. So to me, I think it's really important, but I was also pleased to see that there was unanimous consent from all parties, all parliamentarians, uh, to making sure that those measures will be put in place and there'll be uh, a level of oversight so that we can all participate in that decision making. Okay, Dan Albus, when you, as you go back to BC, what are you gonna be watching for and what are you maybe concerned for in terms of what's been done and what is yet to be done? Well, there's a number of uh, concerns that we've raised over the past few weeks uh, in terms of uh, screening processes and whether or not the government has really taken the issue as seriously. Um, I have to do say that today uh, we obviously wish the Prime Minister and his family well. We wish the government because if they are successful in stemming some of this crisis, uh, then Canada does well and that's what Canada's Conservatives will always put first. But I, I will say that uh, over the next little while we expect the government to put forward a whole range of measures. Uh, I would just start by first by saying the World Health Organization said that a comprehensive uh, suite of tools needs to be used. It sounds like the government is starting to utilize both the tools that it has, but also it does need to do uh, further uh, in terms of, uh, you know, we've been calling for mandatory um, uh, quarantines in cases of particular countries where we feel that uh, there could be a risk to public safety. Um, so having more screening at airports is good, but it needs to have some teeth with that. Um, but I also would simply say is, is that the fiscal measures the government needs to put forward to make sure that uh, the economy is, uh, you know, is able to withstand uh, this, this crisis. Um, but you know, lastly, and I, I would just say this, the government seems to have forgotten that it has a soapbox. Uh, and that soapbox means that they may not be able to tell provinces directly what to do when it comes to social distancing or what to do in certain cases. Should schools be, remain open? Should uh, people self-quarantine uh, if they do travel uh, for March break, for example? Um, and they've been very reluctant to do so. So I'm hoping that they utilize this time, so instead of dealing with the likes of me in question period, that they are actually using, utilizing that soapbox because we need leadership we need to have a firm grip of the issues to help protect Canadians. Okay, uh, Don Davies, you are the health critic and you've been following this very closely. Uh, what do you hope to see and what will you be pressing for, albeit from BC as you head home? Well, first of all, I want to second what Greg said and, and this is a, a bit of a historic day. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very gratified to see all parties support for what I think is a, a very responsible and necessary decision. Um, as was pointed out, uh, we as MPs go to every region of this country. We have very social jobs, we meet lots of people and we come back together on airplanes into a chamber together. So we're, we're, we're very, very much at risk of, of being part of the problem. So I think it's a responsible decision that we, we take a break from Parliament for, for five weeks. But uh, this is a serious situation. We're obviously moving from you know, what has been a containment uh, uh, approach to this to uh, basically a pandemic preparation approach and so the, there are serious issues that remain and a lot of hard questions that need to be asked. Uh, to answer your question directly Martin I would say that my, my number one concern is is we need to have a really uh, frank and I think transparent discussion about how prepared we are. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been really doggedly pursuing the health minister to try to find out what the mild, moderate and severe um, uh, potentials look like in this country. Are we dealing with 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 or more cases? And the reason I ask that is because 
uh, it's impossible to prepare to make sure we have enough ventilators, enough negative pressure rooms, enough critical care beds, enough masks, enough health professionals if we don't have a general idea of where we're going. As Wayne Gretzky used to say, you got to go to where the puck is going to be, not where it is now. And when you see countries like Norway and Denmark, which are, you know, fairly, uh, these are countries that are, are fairly distinct. They are very sophisticated societies with great healthcare systems. When you see countries like that uh, overwhelmed, mm -hmm. then I think that this, this should be a warning to us in Canada. Uh, I'll conclude by saying the WHO just said that the epicenter for COVID-19 now is Europe. It's moved from Asia to Europe. Um, you know, I'm concerned that it then will be moving to North America. So we have a really important time frame in front of us to get ahead of this, um, of COVID-19. I fear up to now we've been a little bit behind. I think it's time to, to get in front of this and take those steps that health professionals are telling us we have to do in order to contain this virus. Uh, Greg Fergus, uh, Dan Albus uh, referred to it and it's been alluded to today. I mean, the Prime Minister had made it sound as if there may be an announcement, but so far your government is still only asking people to self-monitor if they're arriving from a foreign trip, self-monitor, and then to self-quarantine if they are arriving from Hubei, uh, province of China, Iran, and Italy. Is that enough? Um, BC, Alberta, and Quebec are asking people to self-quarantine for two weeks, no matter where they're coming from abroad. Uh, is the government doing enough in terms of travel restrictions and quarantines? Well, uh, forgive me, uh, Martin, but I, I had uh, a different information that is that, of course, people should be coming from not from those high-risk areas that they would have to self-monitor, but those people who are coming from those high-risk areas, Italy, Hubei province, uh, are expected to be obligatorily uh, right. uh, quarantined. Right, but there's no other recommendation for quarantine for people coming from other parts of the world, whereas four provinces have, have requested that. So uh, what we're doing is that we're going to be, uh, depending upon the... Uh, let me put it this way. We have a finite number of resources and also a finite number of bit of attention of Canadians. So what you want to do is that you want to make sure that we're putting the resources in the right places. So you don't want to quarantine everybody who comes back because there are a lot of people who come from low risk areas or no risk areas. Um, and then what you want to do then is that for the people who are coming from the high risk areas that we devote our resources to that. That's the reason why they made the, the government has made the decision to limit international flights to certain airports so that we can have more robust uh, screening measures uh, to making sure that we are uh, measuring the people who right. are coming off, off of those airplanes. But I guess the point was, was there, should there be a leadership role from the federal government? That's what Mr. Albus well, referred to in the sense that you, the province you are representing, uh, their government is saying, no, there should be quarantine. People should self-isolate or self-quarantine right. uh, no matter what, no matter where they're coming from. So what I would say is that we'd want to make those decisions when uh, the scientists and the experts are telling us that we should make those decisions. One of the wonderful things uh, that I think that Canada has done is that it really has learned its lesson from, uh, from SARS in 2003 uh, by setting up the public health agency, by setting up uh, coordinating activities between the provinces and the territories and the federal government. We have seen an unprecedented level of cooperation, so much so that you're seeing epide epidemiologists around the world who are saying that the, the, the gold standard for dealing with this pandemic so far has been Canada. Okay, um, Dan Albus, a uh, question I know that's on your mind. Uh, your province of BC has been much more uh, insistent on this. Is the federal government showing enough leadership in terms of, uh, in terms of the American border? Well, because, I, I, and and I, Don Davies referred to it. I mean, the, the predictions are that America is potentially a hotspot with their lack of testing. Are, are you yeah. concerned that the Canadian government's not showing enough leadership on well, that? Well, th this is the problem is where you will have people will watch a national 
broadcast uh, like yours right here, uh, Martin. And then what will happen is, is that a province may take one approach and a different province may take a different approach. And so it confuses the public. That's why you need to have national leadership getting out the best information. But I, I just want to go back to something Mr. Fergus had said earlier. We had a few days ago in Montreal, Quebec, uh, where yeah, the last inbound flights from Italy, which I will tell you, Italy is, uh, they are making life and death decisions in Italy in terms of rationing out healthcare. Mm -hmm. And yet when people came, they were just given a pamphlet. That is not screening. And to not have someone there to be able, uh, what happens if, you, if someone was sick and didn't bother reading uh, the pamphlet and or did not feel that it applied to them? This is why we have government. We have government so that we can create rules that apply to everyone equally. And the government, I think, in this case, has really dropped the ball. Now, out of the spirit of today, I do not want to say that there is bad faith here. But I will simply say that Canada's Conservatives have been raising these points in the House of Commons. And only today did we hear Mark Garneau say that, uh, that there, there is a challenge with cruise ships and that he is going to take certain measures on those cruise ships. Not, uh, but again, this is after many cruise ships have already decided not to because people aren't sailing. So it always seems to me that the government is only willing to consider these things uh, you know, after we've egged them on over and over and over. That's not leadership, that's reaction. Okay, uh, Don Davies, you alluded to it, and, and I'm, I'm gonna ask this question about the United States. Again, you're also from BC, but just in general, uh, your reflections on the United States in terms of a source of contagion? Well, it's a serious concern. Uh, interestingly, just, just yesterday, the House Commons debated uh, the NDP motion that I introduced to expand our public health care system to include public pharmacare. And it, it uh, provided us to have about eight hours to talk about the importance of a public health care system in Canada. Well, of course, that stands in stark contrast to the system that our neighbours to the south have. And we're already seeing the the problems that a privatized uh, healthcare system in the U.S. Um, uh, perpetuates, particularly in times of crisis and test. So, for instance, in the United States, there's great concern that Americans aren't being tested because they can't afford it. I've heard that it costs as much as $1,300 to pay for a private test. So the lack of Americans' ability to, to test, the lack of their ability to access public health care uh, does, I think, in a pandemic situation, lead to uh, serious questions about whether they'll be able to contain it as effectively as we can. You know, I, I want to also just say that I agree very much with Mr. Fergus that we need a science-based approach to this, but if you listen to doctors, a bunch of doctors just today came out and said that the federal government needs to be bolder. Uh, that's not politicians asking them, that's disease specialists from, uh, from Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto. And I think there's a range of, of, of reaction that is open to the government. I'd like to see them at this point in time be a bit more aggressive okay. and, and bold in terms of getting in front of this, the last this, question, this crisis. The last question, just in a word from each of you, um, going back to your writing, what's your focus going to be? Uh, over these next five weeks. It's a very different existence for you because you won't be in Parliament. You'll be back in the riding for all that time. What's your focus going to be? My focus is going to be information sharing. Try to get the best scientific information out there to my constituents so that they can make informed decisions on how to make sure that they care for themselves, their neighbours, their loved ones, and for all Canadians. Okay. I think if we take those kind of steps, uh, we are going to continue uh, being the best country dealing with a very terrible situation. Okay, Dan Albus, your focus for the next uh, five weeks. So I, I've talked about leadership and using the soapbox you have. I too will be encouraging my constituents to use social distancing, to use best practices 
practices to listen to health authorities. Uh, but I, it's my expectation, though, that the government uh, doesn't always have to right away explain every policy, but that ministers make their staff available so that shadow critics can be briefed in a timely basis so we can then share the information okay. with the Canadian public. Don Davies, uh, in a word, your, your focus over the next few weeks? Well, I want to make sure that every resident of Vancouver Kingsway um, is, is reassured and, and has access to the resources that they're going to need to get through this, uh, uh, this crisis. And second, I'd like to spend a lot of time with the health professionals in my riding to find out what their needs and advice are so that we can funnel what's happening on the grassroots and in our communities back up into government. Okay, I want to thank all three of you for your time. Obviously, a momentous uh, day for us all as we say goodbye to you for five weeks and uh, want to wish you all the best of luck. Martin, if I could, just I think on behalf of all of us, because we all talk about the importance of science, mm -hmm. if Canadians can go to a website, canada.ca backslash coronavirus, mm -hmm. they can get the latest information. Of course, please listen to your local health authorities who can give more uh, structured information, but I think that's a, a great thing to change because the situation is changing day to day, hour to hour. Okay, all three of you, thanks for uh, speaking with us. Thanks. Thank thanks. you, Martin. As we have mentioned, every day this week has seen the federal government continue to roll out new measures to try to contain the spread of COVID-19. The most significant announcement today was Ottawa officially calling on Canadians not to travel abroad. Today, my advice is to postpone or cancel all non-essential travel outside of Canada. This means reconsidering your vacations, going to sporting and entertainment events, large international conferences. This is especially important for older adults and people with underlying medical conditions who are at higher risk of developing severe disease. Right now, uh, as you know, we have had a very good, solid effort at containing the spread of the disease in Canada. But given that there is increased travel uh, happening over the next several weeks, uh, and given that we are at a critical time in terms of keeping our cases down, uh, this is the determination that public health uh, has, has provided us in terms of advice that uh, is essential in terms of our next steps. This was also a week which saw stock markets register record losses, including Canadian markets, and Canada's oil economy took a huge blow with a collapse of the world oil prices. The Finance Minister, Bill Morneau, is expected to roll out some more significant stimulus spending measures to try to counter the economic impacts, but on Friday, the federal government also announced some major measures to try to ease the market shocks on Canadian companies, unveiling a $10 billion stabilization fund while the governor of the Bank of Canada announced a further interest rate cut. In a moment, we will get reactions from an economist, but first, here's the finance minister. As a first step, today, I'm announcing that we are establishing our credit facility program to support businesses and to stimulate the economy. This will make $10 billion available in additional support for Canadian businesses through the Business Development Bank of Canada and Export Development Canada. The bank is today cutting its target for the overnight rate by 50 basis points to three-quarters of a percent. Borrowing costs will be lowered both for new purchases and through variable rate mortgages and mortgage renewals. Today, the bank also announced a new banker's acceptance purchase facility. This will support a key funding market for small and medium-sized businesses at a time when they may have increased funding needs and credit conditions are tightening. 
Well, to look now at the economic measures that were announced by the Trudeau government today to try and stimulate the economy and counter the effects of the coronavirus, I'm joined now by Pedro Antunez. He is the chief economist of the Conference Board of Canada. Uh, Mr. Antunez, thanks for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Can we walk through what was announced today? Because we saw earlier uh, the, the Bank of Canada had already announced one interest rate cut, but we have interest rate cuts, we have money in a stabilization fund. What exactly has been announced and how, how is it anticipated to work? Yeah, well, um, well, I think uh, the broad measure here really and, uh, and the one that's kind of sweeping is the uh, further interest rate cut. Uh, the Bank of Canada cut the interest rate to their their prime rate or the bank rate uh, by 50 basis points last, well, I guess 10 days ago, yeah. and again, uh, another 50 basis points today. So that's uh, essentially going to make credit very cheap for both households and businesses. Uh, we've already seen bond yields drop uh, significantly, in fact, to record lows. Uh, and that means uh, that really has an impact on mortgage rates, for example, for households. It will also have an impact in terms of making credit very, very cheap for businesses. So the idea here is uh, as businesses, uh, you know, find tough times because they are going to see revenues reduced, their 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 profits and, and their revenues reduced, uh, they are going to be able to kind of hold, hopefully hold the fort together uh, with uh, cheap credit a little bit longer than what might have been. Okay, uh, well, so just that, a, well, just a question on that though, because as you mentioned, ten days ago when uh, when Stephen Polos, the governor of the Bank of Canada, made his announcement about the interest rate, that interest rate cut, there was no mm -hmm. there was no no mention and no thought of a further interest rate cut. How much of a surprise did this come from, come as, and, and, and how do you understand it in terms of the severity of the issue? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, certainly I think, you know, day by day we're seeing the implications of, of this uh, contagion on the economy, and, uh, you know, this is really sweeping now, both uh, measures that are, uh, you know, essentially suggested measures and self-imposed measures by businesses and, and uh, households across Canada. So this is going to be very... Uh, uh, deep. Uh, it's certainly going to be a big impact in the, in the quarter that's coming, uh, as far as we can can tell. How long it lasts is a whole other question that we can discuss, perhaps. Uh, but but yeah, I would confess that it, it did come up, uh, as a surprise that we saw the other uh, an interest rate cut so quickly uh, after the first one ahead of the Federal Reserve. Um, so it just goes to show that uh, there's a lot of concern about how this is going to affect the economy. And let's get ahead of it as much as possible with these interest rate uh, reductions. Now, I interrupted you. Uh, on the other measure, the big uh, stabilization fund, this $10 billion stabilization yeah. fund, what, what is it? How is it going to work? Well, as far as I understand, these are loans that are going to be made available from uh, uh, through uh, Export Development Corporation and uh, through the Business Development uh, Corporation. So, um, uh, you know, the details of which I haven't looked too deeply at, but I can tell you that essentially it's making other measures to make credit available uh, to businesses that are that are going to be feeling the tough times. You mentioned the interest rate, and one of the big questions will be how long it stays low. Uh, what's your thinking on that? What were the risks of announcing such a, a second interest rate cut so soon? Yeah, well, I don't think the risks are, are too great right now. I think the markets, the financial markets, even uh, with the first rate cut, we're already expecting that we were going to see further rate cuts. Uh, and we know that from the way bond yields reacted. Uh, bonds uh, got to record low rates uh, in Canada and the U.S. Uh, and they were essentially telling us uh, that financial markets were expecting another uh, cut. So the fact that they came a little earlier than perhaps we might have expected, um, I, you know, I don't think that that's uh, a, a huge 
detractor here. Uh, hopefully, it'll send a message that, well, you know, we are uh, understanding that this is severe and, and going to have an impact. Now, how long it lasts, I, I was mostly referring to uh, the contagion uh, picture that we're, okay. we're facing. And how that affects the economy. Uh, you know, what we're talking about here is really flattening the curve. And what we're talking about is not having as many cases up front, so many cases quickly, but trying to spread this out as much as possible by reducing the contagion. So to me, that says, well, these measures, these measures of distancing people and, uh, uh, you know, uh, of holding back on uh, what is essentially going to be travel and tourism, accommodation, services and entertainment, uh, that is going to perhaps last uh, longer than the, the kind of one quarter. It could be two quarters or three quarters. So we'll have to see how long and how uh, deep these impacts are in the economy. There's a lot of uncertainty, essentially. Okay, I guess, uh, and that, as you say, that's the million-dollar question or the multi-billion-dollar question. How much of mm -hmm. this... Um, I mean, I guess it's all, in a, in a way, I'm answering my own question, it's all, it's all interlinked. I mean, how, I was going to say how much of it is caused by the incredible slump in oil prices and how much of it is caused by the effect and the anticipated effect of, as you say, the coronavirus and its, its effect on supply chains. But I guess the oil, it's all connected because of the lack of uh, demand for oil. Yeah, well, in fact, you've touched on two. There's there's three things, really. One is uh, households holding back on spending, uh, especially on the service side of the economy, as we just mentioned. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, well, and tourism from abroad is going to be hit. We knew that right off the bat as we saw what was going on in China earlier on. Um, the And the impact of that was essentially to f reduce uh, demand for jet fuel and demand for oil, and, and thus we saw oil prices take one hit and then a further hit as OPEC and the, the Russians weren't able to work out whether they were going to curtail production or not. So we're in a situation where, you know, the consumers uh, are having an impact. Uh, lower oil prices is having an impact certainly on our energy producing provinces. And thirdly, it's this uh, situation with as we're shutting down, as we're avoiding contact, you know, how will this affect supply chains? Are we going to see situations where suppliers in the U.S. Uh, are affected and, you know, we just can't get product to market? A supply shock, if you like. So that could be a third, or impl a third implication uh, from this, uh, th this situation we're facing. We're being told that uh, Finance Minister Morneau and the federal government uh, does have other measures planned and they are more in the stimulus uh, category. What would you hope to see and what do you think we might see? Uh, it's rumored to be early next week. Well, you know, at this point, we're uh, we're going to see a big uh, impact on the economy on very specific sectors. We just talked about, you know, tourism, uh, uh, the air, uh, the um, air transportation industry, uh, accommodation, food, and, and other services. So we may see targeted measures. I, I think in those segments where we might see job losses or or layoffs, uh, especially when we think about tourism, uh, restaurants, uh, um, and uh, accommodation, I, I think those segments will probably see layoffs. So any. Anything that can uh, target to uh, uh, to supporting, um, uh, you know, it could be something through the employment insurance program or other support measures. Uh, you know, a broader measure could be a payroll uh, tax reduction to help encourage firms in Canada as we go through this period uh, to keep their employees. I mean, the, the, you know, the biggest impacts, of course, of a business cycle or a slowdown or a recession, depending on what we get, uh, where the pain is felt is if people suffer job losses and, and losses in income. So anything that can support uh, essentially the ability of firms to hold on to their workers would be positive, I, I would argue, as well. And then any directed measures at those industries specifically um, you know, it's, it's difficult, of course, especially in the tourism, when we're talking about such a broad range of, of industries, but anything we may see 
uh, some specific measures directed at those at those segments. We saw this week one of your colleagues, I believe, at the Bank of Nova Scotia, economist, uh, suggesting that the kind of stimulus that would be ne necessary to get us out of a recession and to pick up the economy would be something like 0.1 percent of the GDP, which translates, I think, to about 20 billion dollars. That was taken up by uh, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney. He was in town here yesterday. Uh, they didn't have the first minister's meeting that they were going to have, but that's what he's put to the federal government. Do you think mm -hmm. we might see something in that range, or is that uh, a bit too rich for the uh, for the finance the federal finance minister's liking? Well, uh, yeah, and I, th I think that would be about one percent of GDP. So our our current deficits that we've been running in the last few years have been about one percent of GDP, about twenty billion. The government had actually a plan to go to twenty-seven billion. Uh, so if we tack on another one percent of GDP, you know, we're talking about a fifty billion dollar deficit overall. Yeah. Uh, so in that range, we'll 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 see what comes of it. But uh, it's not. You know, the, the federal government has the ability to do that. Uh, we would have certainly liked to have seen a little more restraint in the good years, uh, in years past, mm -hmm. um, and to, to just have a little bit more uh, capacity to, uh, to to spend in the case of a, a business cycle like we're having today. But certainly the government, it, you know, our net debt as a share of GDP is 35%. Uh, we're in a great shape fiscally in comparison to many other G7 developed economies. Uh, and so, and we do have the capacity certainly to add another percentage point or more uh, to the deficit, at least short term, as we counter this uh, this really unusual and unexpected situation. Okay, I guess the last question, that is just in a nutshell, how optimistic are you that these sort of measures, because I know that there's going to be a more concerted effort uh, in a conference call between the G7 leaders next week, but how optimistic are you that these measures are going to actually have the effect that they're hoped for? Well, I, I think they will. Uh, you know, the economics is a tough uh, to, uh, uh, science because we can never really know what the counterfactual would have been if we didn't have the measures. So we can only estimate that these uh, uh, measures will have an impact. They they will help support the economy. Certainly, uh, an interest rate reduction will support households, and you know, households are fairly indebted in Canada, as we as we know. Uh, so there's no doubt these will have uh, impact. Whether they are sufficient enough to 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 rescue the the next quarter, let's say, or the year uh, in terms of uh, stronger growth uh, or to avoid a recession, that, that remains to be seen. Uh, we think that we're going to see a very, very weak quarter in the second quarter. Uh, and going forward, I think it really depends a lot on, uh, you know, are we able to contain the, uh, yeah. the, the region essentially, and will this impact be lasting? Yeah, and of course, uh, none of us know that, and we're all hoping for the best. I want to thank you very much for taking the time, Mr. Antunez. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Canadians will experience a mild to moderate version of this illness. So what we're trying to do by flattening the curve is actually protect the most vulnerable so that the people that do end up the most ill can actually receive the services that they will need to continue breathing and to continue living in the hospital with the support of hospital uh, services. So when we talk about flattening the curve, it's not because we're so worried that everybody will get so sick that they will not be able to function. What we're doing is we're saying, let us do this so that we can actually make that room in the hospital uh, system uh, so that we can protect those most vulnerable people who will need that care.
As the number of Canadians infected with the coronavirus continues to grow, doctors and other healthcare professionals on the front lines are concerned about the ability of Canada's healthcare system to deal with the onslaught of the virus. In fact, Canada's emergency physicians have written an open letter to politicians and the public warning that the healthcare system is severely limited in what it will be able to handle when the pandemic hits its full stride. Dr. Paul Pajot is immediate past president of the Emergency Physicians Association of Canada, and he joins me now. Dr. Pajot, thanks very much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Um, okay, let, let's start with, uh, I guess, I mean, to take this measure and to say to Canadians, because we've been told that it's a matter of making room and with the flu season over, it's all about giving our healthcare system enough time to have the capacity to deal with the cases of the virus as they come into our emergency rooms and into our hospitals. But you're saying that there's a real question about capacity. What are the, what are the concerns? Yeah, I think it's the the main problem has really been a, a chronic overcapacity. Uh, many of our hospitals operate at a uh, hundred percent or greater capacity, meaning that uh, um, they're regularly making accommodations for um, more than what their funding has been, and more for the number of beds they have. So, what that does is that that comes down to the um, it's a whole chain of events, and so if you don't have as many uh, uh, hospital beds, uh, as many long-term care beds, really, you don't have as many people leaving the hospital, the waits in the emergency department get longer for, for patients waiting to go up to the ward, and uh, that leads to ambulances uh, having to wait to offload patients uh, to, the, um, uh, to the emergency department, emergency department. And, uh, and therefore, wait times uh, balloon. And I think we've seen a chronic um, uh, overcrowding in our emergency departments for many years or even decades. And I think we do anticipate some things like the flu season and um, uh, preparing for those, for those inevitabilities. Every year we know the flu season comes and we, we make accommodation. But um, a lot of it is every day is a bit of a stretch to make the room and space to be able to care for our patients in the emergency department. And well, uh, even without COVID, it's quite a challenge. Well, that's what I was going to say, because we've been told now, we're hearing quite regularly that the whole thrust and the whole effort of our whole healthcare system, especially the public health system, is to try and make sure that we delay, that we, what, we, 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 we get that curve lower. And so what's coming at our hospital system is not going to overwhelm the system. You're saying, how does that translate? I mean, if we have these chronic uh, shortages and underfunding, how does that translate in an era of what we're going to see with COVID? No, it's a good point. I think that is the strategy to sort of allow, so you don't get a large surge, because I think the surges are very difficult to deal with. So if you get a large surge of critically ill patients that you're, you overwhelm your emergency department, you end up in a disaster scenario where you might have to start thinking about rationing uh, healthcare services. And that's not anywhere anyone wants to be. So some of those measures that you talk about are extremely important. So what do we do? I mean, you're talking about a chronic issue of funding. What do we do in the short term? I mean, we're looking at something from what we see on television. Uh, treatment of COVID patients as they come in is, is fairly labor intensive, requiring a lot of highly skilled professionals like yourself. What's the solution, if there is one right now, at least in the short term? Yeah, I think, uh, I think you know, uh, sustained funding is a big part of that. Sustained attention to the overcrowding issue, I think, is a big part of that. 
Um, in the in the immediate short term, I think s some things that are are in the works are starting. So the community based um, testing facilities okay. that are being set up both in Toronto and Ottawa are very important. Um, that's something that can be offloaded from the emergency department. Okay. Um, taking all those as a as a member of the public, taking all those per precautions to reduce uh, the spread of illness, and reduce spread of illness to those who are most vulnerable in our population, the elderly or the very young or the immune compromised. We're watching the politicians on our station, we're watching them daily and many Canadians are, uh, as they make announcements about uh, limits to travel, uh, recommendations about not traveling, advisories about self-quarantine and self-isolation. Um, is enough being done on that front? You know, it's, I think we're in the, we're in an, Every day is different. I think we're seeing new measures taken each day, especially this week. Yeah. And um, we do know what's, what's happened in other countries. And I think uh, we have to take decisive action now. And, and that includes the public health part, which, you know, I'm not a public health expert myself. I more deal with what happens in the, uh, in the emergency department. Right. Um, so a lot of, I think... Um, a lot of those measures and actually following those are important from a, from a government's perspective like you say i think it's it's supporting the infrastructure of our emergency departments of our hospitals uh to be able to hand this and that is everything from um the you know gloves and masks and gowns uh the community testing facilities i could talk about but also the um uh thinking about the workforce mm -hmm. and uh, a certain part of our workforce may be sick, may be off, and we, we have to think about uh, how we're going to support that workforce uh, in this immediate phase and then going forward. A concrete measure that we heard the other day was that the governor of, uh, or the health ministry in British Columbia was calling in retired doctors, was saying those who mm -hmm. can and will or, or predisposed to, uh, they were calling on them and saying we, we could use your help. We're, you're talking about personnel. Is that a potential solution? Uh, it's possible. It's not one that I've that I've heard about, but I, I think um, a big part is actually paying attention to the wellness and burnout of the of the group that you have currently, okay. um, and and uh, assuring that there's you know adequate time away in order to to um, uh, in order to cover uh, the certain shifts and and uh, and needs in the in the emergency departments. Um, that's probably another big part that could be could be supported. I don't know of other specific strategies uh, to to is that if we be, get a lot of our workforce sick. Sorry, is that going to be a luxury though? Because one of the things that we're witnessing when we watch those hospitals in Milan in northern Italy doesn't seem there's much time for time off. I mean, people are being burnt basically pressed to the limits. Uh, is that something that's just going to have to be? It doesn't. I don't know how how credible that is right now, faced with what we're facing. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, you mean, uh, that's just going to be a reality. That with the crunch that's coming, yeah, with the onslaught of that's coming. And, and I think you're, that, is, um, that is a reality. I think the, uh, a lot of individuals that go into emergency medicine, the physicians, the nurses, the respiratory therapists, um, they, they are there. They know what to expect. They know it's a stressful job. Um, uh, and I just think looking at... Looking at uh, how to best support the the current uh, emergencies, whether that's uh, looking beyond with allied healthcare professionals, um, 
uh, like you talk about physicians coming out of retirement. I'm, yeah. I'm not. They may be older, might be more at risk. Um, okay. What, uh, what about, uh, I mean, uh, some short snappers, what about, you mentioned resources, uh, are, are you aware of acute resources? Because we heard the, the health minister saying, you know, they're asking provincial health ministers to identify to, to the federal government shortages in, in equipment, in, in actual preventative or protective uh, gowns and things like that. Are there shortages that you're aware of? Yeah, so not not in my workplace, that is. Okay. I, uh, I think we're, we're, we're it's, uh, it's not, been a, um, not been the case. Um, uh, you know, and and again, uh, I think that having that kind of forward thinking to we're going to need these supplies when this when the out, when the outbreak was first kind of triggered is uh, is the kind of foresight that would be um, expected of the government of our hospitals, um, and I think um, it's just important to pay attention to that because. With an unprotected workforce, I think you're, you you don't have an effective front line mm. for this virus. Last question. A lot of people, uh, a lot of doctors have told me that what's crucial right now is social distancing. You, we have to prevent mm -hmm. the kind of massive, very, very exponential growth in infection. And social distancing is so important, getting that distance between people and cancelling activities, cancelling big big events, social events. What do you make of that? Yeah, and, and um, I... I I think that's key. I think there's some there's some some important public messages there. The public health is is uh, messaging out regularly, and um, that social distancing, uh, you know, unnecessary travel. I won't say unnecessary, but you know, travel that may not be essential. Yeah. Um, larger gatherings, all those things. If we can modify in the early stage of this uh, this outbreak, I think. We're going to be better off. I think we, it's a it's how we're going to save lives most effectively. Are we seeing enough action uh, soon enough? It's hard to tell. I think uh, I'd be the retrospectoscope will will tell us, but yeah. uh, I think it is a fine line between that uh, panic and preparedness. Mm -hmm. um, and every day is uh, seems to be different. Uh, at least this week and. And I think, on a on a on an individual level, I think if if we can, each individual can make personal choices to to keep themselves safe and think of our, our you know our our, you know most vulnerable patients, then uh, then uh, I think you know and and we've gotten through others uh, outbreaks and we'll get through this one. I, um, let's get through it smart. Okay, thank you very much, for, uh, Dr. Pajot, and I wish you all the best of luck. Okay, thank you. Well, joining me now to look at a week without equal in federal politics as the federal government and Canadians try to deal with a major health emergency, Parliament has decided to suspend for five weeks, and the Prime Minister is in self-isolation because of his wife's infection by the coronavirus. Joining me to walk through it all are three reporters from the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Mia Rabson is a parliamentary reporter with the Canadian Press. Heather Scofield is the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. And Christy Kirkup is a national political reporter for the Globe and Mail. All three of you, thanks for coming in. 
Thank you for having us. As I mentioned, this is a really, really busy day, though, but I want to start with just briefly any reflections on what was a quite momentous decision by parliamentarians to go home, go home for five weeks. Uh, Mia. I think by the time they finally announced it today, everyone knew it was coming, so it seemed less dramatic. Yeah. But for sure, it is unprecedented for, for this to happen. I mean, often even wartime, <laughs> the parliament kept sitting. So to say, for them to say, you know, we're not coming back until April 20th, that sort of sends the message of just how serious they are taking everything that's happening right yeah. now. Heather, any thoughts on it? Yeah, I th well, it was th th it's the right thing to do, but I think um, especially at this time when, um, you know, there's so much uncertainty among people making their daily decisions, um, they're looking for leadership and they're looking for, you know, any kind of indication about what, you know, how do we decide one way or another? And, and when you get a signal like that from people that you know and respect and that you see, in your media every single day, it, it, it sends a pretty strong signal. Is it, it's interesting because it's, it's sending in a way though, the same sort of signal that the fact that the, the, the Prime Minister's wife is, is infected with the coronavirus, it's sending the signal that this is serious and it can affect everyone and everyone is taking measures to approach it. Um, Christy. I think we've really seen, of course, the WHO um, deemed uh, coronavirus to be a pandemic this yeah. week. And of course, public health officials have continuously said that the risk to Canadians remains low. Uh, but we've really seen it hit home, uh, uh, of course, with the Prime Minister's wife having the formal diagnosis, the Prime Minister himself in self-isolation. Two of his cabinet ministers are also in self-isolation as a precautionary step. Um, people are staying home because uh, they they're feeling ill. We saw that from Jagmeet Singh. And so yeah. you can really see that Parliament Hill um, has has been uh, hit with this and, and how to respond to it, even on a personal level in terms of should we really be sitting in these cramped chairs in yeah. in the chamber? Uh, you want to talk about shutting down a mass gathering. Well, there was a mass gathering happening on Parliament Hill every, every day, day called every Question day. Period yeah. with more than 330 people. So, uh, you know, if you're following public health advice, that means yeah. shutting down a, a big gathering like that. And the travel. I mean, uh, I think Elizabeth uh, May uh, used the medical term. She called it a vector of contagion or a vector of disease. I mean, you are actually traveling across the country. Okay, all three of you been, have been following this quite extensively uh, since the outbreak, you know, since January, since we came back from the, the holiday season. Um, what strikes you about today's developments, about how the federal government has either kept up or has not kept up? Um, Mia. The, the last couple of days, what struck me the most is how quickly things are moving and how quickly things are changing. I mean, even yesterday, we watched even provincially in the morning, the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford's like, oh yeah, I should go away for spring break, travel, have fun, relax. Seven hours later, schools are closed for three weeks. Yeah. So I think that that alone sort of sends the signal of how quickly everything is changing. The information that public health officials are getting is changing almost by the minute. And that's what strikes me. It is hard to keep up when you don't, when the information is changing mm. 20 minutes after you make a decision. Are the politicians, politicians keeping up with it. I mean, this is one of the things that medical uh, experts are saying. They're saying, some of them are saying, we heard from an emergency physician, that the government is not doing enough in terms of social distancing, shutting things down. Um Sorry. I think the thing was um, what we saw earlier this week and, and, and last week a bit too is a lot of things were being done piecemeal. Um, you know, we were just seeing provincial policies on the health front kind of all over the place and not necessarily um, coherent with each other. And um, similarly, on the, I mean, they're, they're fighting a recession at the same time as they're fighting a, 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 the spread of a virus. The, the fiscal measures, it was a lot of promising, but we'll do this one day soon, we'll do that. Um, and it was kind of a drip, drip, drip a yeah. response that didn't really inspire confidence. And then all of a sudden in the last two days, yeah. uh, there has been a concerted attempt to really um, bring things together. Um, you know, on, on the health front, I, 
we saw that we saw them come out today with quite a few strong statements. I mean, there still seems to be uh, yeah. <laughs> some disarray, but it, but 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 people are certainly um, attempting anyway to okay. move together. And on the fiscal front and the uh, the financial front, for sure, there 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 seem to be a lot more coherence today than there was last week. Okay, I want to get back to you on the specifics of what was announced today. I mean, some multi-billion-dollar measures. Uh, but uh, so in a second, Christy, though, uh, are is there enough coherence? Because one of the things people point out is that you have provinces like Alberta and Quebec. Um, and BC saying don't travel, but also saying if you travel, we're, we're going to ask you to be in quarantine for two weeks, whereas the federal government's not gone that far. Um, a lot of people wrestling with the differences and all that. Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, this is the federation at work. Yeah. Um, and I think that there has since SARS, I talked to Anne McClellan this week, who was health minister mm -hmm. um, during the SARS outbreak, and she talks about kind of the force of the Public Health Agency of Canada and lessons that have been learned and, and more coordinated message uh, messaging from the prov uh, provincial level uh, with the chief public health officer. Yeah. And she says that people should actually take comfort in the fact that there is is a deliberate attempt to try and be united in terms of the public health messaging. Of course, there has been a bit of a disconnect there where we saw Bonnie Henry come out yesterday in British Columbia and say that she was issuing advice uh, to avoid non-essential travel outside of, uh, outside of our country. Yeah. And then we hadn't heard that from the chief public health officer. And then, of course, we saw this morning that formally that uh, messaging came forward yeah. from the chief public if health you don't officer. Have to travel, so, don't travel. So yeah. people are, you know, kind of saying, even last night it was, okay, well, British Columbia is saying this. What is the chief public health officer going to say? I think yeah. to Mia's point, it's all happening fast so moving. fast. Yeah. And so uh, I think there is that attempt to, to bring together the message. But it, this is, you know, everything is evolving in mm -hmm. real time and the science is evolving really. Um, Mia, rapidly. I saw you wanting to get in about the coherence or lack thereof. It, the problem with the lack of coherence is that because there are some mixed messages, you are still seeing people who don't necessarily get that this is a big deal. I mean, there yeah. was, there's people who are saying, oh yeah, I'm still going away for March break. You know, it's, it's media hype. It's not a big deal. And if you want people to actually trust, I mean, we live in an era where people already distrust government. They yeah. distrust the media. If we want them to actually believe it, it has to be coherent. Um, Heather, I said we'd get to the, I mean, it's a big deal economically too. I mean, what we saw this week, both with the plunge in the price of oil and the impact that's going to have on Alberta, but also just the inherent impact on the whole Canadian economy. What do you make of the measures that were announced today? I mean, fairly significant. As you say, things are now starting to gel into big, big measures. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, earlier this week they announced a billion dollars in kind of some stopgap measures, but uh, today was all about um, keeping things smooth on financial markets. Um, next week will come their stimulus package for the yeah. for the economy, but but today they're really focused on on financial markets, and and that's pretty appropriate because we saw um, markets crashed this week, and yeah. um, you know not just the TSX, but in around the world, and bonds are down too, and, and you, so it's it's down all over the place in in a in a very worrisome way. Can governments do a lot about <clears throat> that though? I mean, the the market it tends to be a panicky thing. That's true, um, but so what they're looking at is is liquidity specifically, so making sure. That companies have enough are able to access enough cash to to pay the bills and, and move on to the next day, despite what's going on all around them, to make sure that things are a little bit um, moving a bit more smoothly. So, okay. it was quite remarkable what we just saw um, this afternoon to have the finance minister and the and the head of the Bank of Canada so, and the head of um, financial um, institutions come out and each of them come forward with with a bunch of measures about how to make sure um, things are functioning smoothly. And the big spending, as you say, the big stimulus package or the big spending package next week? Next week, it looks like that. It'll come then. And a meeting of G7 or a teleconference call of G7 leaders to try and get their, the, and one would assume it's mainly economic, although maybe not. Um, okay, I'll, just a last word to go around. 
as a person, as a reporter, as we're not going to be covering MPs for the next five weeks, but as we watch this all evolve, any thoughts? Yeah. We're going to be coming, covering MPs. It just won't be from the House of yeah. Commons, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they're, they're going home. They're going to their constituencies. Uh, we will still be hearing from them. We will still yeah. be hearing from cabinet ministers. Uh, this isn't to desert the, the, the ships and, and nobody's going to no, say anything no, for no. the next uh, four weeks. But on the virus. So, uh, you know, I think everything changes so quickly. And I think we'll have a better sense in two weeks whether these measures have helped. I mean, all they stressed today was we need to slow the spread of this of this this virus. It is not about stopping it entirely. It's about allowing our health facilities to be able to handle those who get sick, so the people who will get sick can actually get better. Okay, Heather. In terms of covering this this incredible story. Well, I'm I'm kind of relieved to see them leave town, so that we don't have to follow them around and, and be in such close quarters. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I mean, on a very personal level, yeah, on a very personal yeah. level, yeah. It, it gets a bit uncomfortable, and and um, you know, we'll have to change the way that we we follow them, um, but they'll be you know working digitally as will we and so yeah. so that uh, is, is somewhat somewhat encouraging that we don't have to be face to face the irony too because as so many Canadians are working from home and digitally and all that in terms of the virus watching the vi this whole epidemic this pandemic evolve yeah, we heard earlier this week uh, that the health minister, Patty Haidu, she was facing questions about, are you able to give at least some type of an estimate? What what number are you yeah. preparing for in terms of the rate of infection or transmission? And she said between 30 to 70% of the population, they're preparing for the worst case scenario. Yeah. You know, I think that the main message is they're trying to take all the steps they can to prepare for, um, you know, that, that range, yeah. prepare, prepare for the worst. Uh, but I think uh, perhaps we need to take a deep breath because I think we're, we are in for a really long haul on this story. Yeah, I mean, I heard Premier Legault saying three to six months. That's what all the epidemiologists say. I want to thank all three of you for coming in. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank Take you. Care. Well, that's all for another edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC, the cable public affairs channel. I'm Martin Stringer on behalf of all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching and have a great weekend. Thank you.